Welcome to the Don't Trip on the Usual Travel Podcast from Beyond Experiences. My name is Anand. I have Srini here with me to speak about Kenya. Hey Srini. You know what? Kenya and that region is, uh, for me, has been the stuff of dreams. I've never been there, but if I close my eyes and think of Kenya, I get visions of, uh, you know, lions lolling around, deer running around, crocodiles lying in wait, hippos, and the Maasai. The Maasai dressed in red, jumping and dancing with joy. Does that sound strange? Maybe it does. Now that I say it, I, it does sound strange. But that's Kenya for me. Tell me about Kenya and your recent trip there. Oh, wow. Yes, uh, Kenya is is all that and more. Uh, Kenya or East Africa for that matter is a true wildlife destination. And I would dare say one of the best destinations for sighting wildlife in the world. It has always been my dream to go to the site where one of the greatest animal migrations in the world occurs. All you heard, what you all mentioned is quite true. And even a short trip to Kenya would normally delight you with wonderful animal sightings. Uh, though, of course, I have to qualify this saying that getting the perfect photo of the wildebeest crossing the Mara River with the crocodiles lying in wait, this is quite rare. Okay, so my impressions are what one would uh, loosely call never been there kind of impressions. Yeah. But your impressions would be the been there, done that impressions, as one would call it in the same loosely technical way in Sudhis. Tell me about your impressions. Give me your first impressions and your final impressions. My first impression when I saw the never-ending rolling savannas was thrilling. I had imagined boring vast plains of grasslands, uh, but then the scenic beauty of the savannas with the sheer abundance of both antelope species and the predators like lions, uh, leopards, is way too fascinating to describe properly, especially in the evenings. It's a different, it's a dif- it's a different scenery altogether. My last impression, uh, again, uh, there's, uh, there's, there's a bit of amazement and there's a bit of a sad feeling. Uh, I had been on a familiarization trip, basically for travel, uh, for travel advisors, uh, and hence I had tried to cover most of the re- regions, though I did not manage to cover it all. So all this made up for a very hectic trip. What amazed me uh, was the diversity of the ecosystems. You know, the vast rolling grasslands of the Mara, the wet swampy grasslands of Amboseli, uh, the Great Lake ecosystems, uh, the dry and arid bushland of Samburu in the north, and then the mountains and the forests of Abedere. So these, these diverse set of ecosystems leads to an equally diverse wildlife. And each place, believe me, has a different kind of scenic beauty and wildlife. Uh, but what I was saddened by uh, was uh, what you would say that the normal focus of the tourists. You know, whenever people, my friends or our guests speak to us, when they ask about Kenya, all they seem to be focused on is on the Great Migration, the Masai Mara and the Big Five. After experiencing uh, this vast diversity of the different parks, uh, Samur in the north, Old Pajita Conservancy in the, in the center, Amboseli in the south, I realized that doing only the Mara is such a tragedy. You know, the variety of sightings, the scenic value, uh, the learnings about nature that you get, all this simply beats experiencing only one park that is the Masai Mara. I do wish uh, people spend a lot more time in Kenya and explore other parks as well, just way, uh, way beyond the Masai Mara. Okay, quick question to start off. Uh, this is on the geography of the region. Uh, fairly confusing this entire thing is. Tell me, how are Kenya, Tanzania, Serengeti, Mara, how are they all linked up? Is it possible to do all of them sequentially or, or is it better uh, not to be sequential about this whole thing? Good question. 
okay uh, something which i take all pains to explain to all our guests who discuss about kenya now the first discussion the, this discussion on the geography of kenya is in two parts now first is about the mara serengeti ecosystem and then the second is about the geography of kenya in general let me first talk about the mara serengeti ecosystem now it surprises a lot of people when i say that uh, that the mara and the serengeti are one and the same uh, it is just that, uh, that the british decided to draw a straight line and divide the serengeti across two countries that is kenya and tanzania uh, basically on either side of the border uh, the savanna grassland ecosystem is exactly the same the mara has the mara river in the west the talik river in the north and the sands river as the southern border basically uh, either side of the uh, sands river is the two countries but uh, does this mean that the experience on in both the sides that in both the countries is the same uh, here and lies the catch first note uh, first we have to note that uh, masai mara is quite small okay at uh, 1500 square kilometers it is maybe only one tenth the size of the serengeti which is far larger 15000 square kilometers but topographically uh, the mara has an advantage in the context of the great migration okay as i said earlier uh, the mara is bounded by rivers on three sides okay in addition you have the mara escarpment on the west uh, that forms a formidable barrier now with these boundaries uh, the masai mara uh, sort of becomes a geographical uh, nook of its own okay uh, one important thing you have to note about the great migration is that it's not a seasonal phenomenon okay the the wildebeest the zebras and the gazelles they migrate on a continuous basis year long they move in a circular motion in the serengeti ecosystem following the rains and hence the grass the beauty is when they get to the northern part that's the masai mara this is from june till maybe september october now in this region they are forced to crowd together and gather in a small far smaller place due to the due to this natural boundaries which i described above okay now uh, this what what this results in is a far higher density of mammals okay and this is quite unlike when they are far more spread out in the much larger serengeti this is what makes the magic of the great migration in the masai mara far more special and spectacular now the wildebeest crossing the mara and the sands river with the crocodiles lying in wait in the waters and the lions on the other side all this makes up for the highlight of one of the greatest wildlife shows in the world wow the great migration i didn't i didn't realize it uh, uh, goes uh, on throughout the year man these guys are like nomads what a life yeah constant travel and following the rain and the grass as you call it brings a lot of images to the mind <laughs> but tell me all of kenya can be covered uh, sequentially yes this is the second discussion on the kenya geography now the grasslands of the mara and the serengeti are in the are, are in the lowlands meaning a lower altitude however uh, if you move towards the north from amasai mara uh, towards nairobi and beyond you you come across the highlands now here you will cross the eastern part of the great african rift valley okay the highlands can uh, continue uh, continue right up to mount kenya which is the second highest peak in africa now beyond that beyond mount kenya the height lowers further down to the arid areas of samburu and lake turkana further towards sudan 
this uh, when we uh, when we talk about the west when you go all the way to the west from Masai Mara you come to Lake Victoria and the Mount Elgon conservation area the Mount Elgon area is heavily forested it's a tropical mountainous terrain now moving east from the Mara towards the Indian Ocean again largely grasslands okay and uh, and uh, plain flat areas but ultimately you reach Mombasa and the coastal region and this has a couple of the best beaches in the world okay now in addition important to note is the Kenya Great Lake system of the Rift Valley now this is the this is the UNESCO World Heritage site and consists of three uh, possibly interconnected lakes of uh, Lake Nakuru uh, Lake Bagoria and Lake Elementaita. Okay, all these uh, describe the different ecosystems. Unfortunately, uh, distances between these different places can be a challenge, unless of course one plans to zip across the country on a flight, which can be very expensive as well. Okay, the great the Great Lakes are close to Nairobi. Nairobi, which is the main uh, international arrival and departure point, uh, and Old Pajeta and Aberdeer uh, are also close to Nairobi. Uh, but uh, Samburu in the north, Masai Mara in the south, and Amboseli in the southeast, all these are in different directions, and and on an average they are about six to eight hours by road. Hence, given the uh, given the above, a sequential coverage of the parks may not be feasible. For example, uh, going from Amboseli to either Samburu or Masai Mara would necessarily mean that you have to transit through Nairobi. Same is the case when you go from Mara to, Sambu, uh, Mara to Samburu or Amboseli and the other way around. So basically, Nairobi is always the domestic transit point of sorts. Of course, uh, going to the coastal regions from Nairobi is possible only by flight. Uh, unless uh, you want the adventure of a train ride or a three-day road journey with a break in some of the less visited uh, parks of uh, Kenya like East and West Savo National Parks. Uh, hence, basically, moral of the story, given the distances and the geography, it is very important to keep all these above factors in mind when you're planning your itinerary within Kenya. Wow, what lovely names, man. Samburu and Turkana and Mara and Serengeti and Mombasa and Nakuru, Elementita, Bagoria. Romance just, just flows through and cut it with a knife, I guess, when I hear these names. I don't know, it must be just me and my overactive imagination. But tell me, tell me about your trip. How long were you there and what all did you do? Oh, my uh, trip was quite memorable. Though I went in the low season, and that is in April, uh, which is the long rain season, it was a fascinating experience. Uh, since I was on a familiarization trip, uh, for travel advisors that is, uh, the agenda was to cover as many destinations as possible and to inspect various options of accommodation. It was thus quite a hectic trip, but I loved it. I was there for around uh, 12 days uh, and I covered most of the important uh, areas including Nairobi, the capital city, the Masai Mara, Lake Nakuru, Lake Naivesha, uh, Samburu, All Pajeta Conservancy and Amboseli. I had less than optimal time on safaris uh, given that I had inspections to do as well but even that short time in the wild was absolutely enjoyable. Look at those names man, Naivesha, Old Pajeta Conservancy and what, what lovely names. Eh? The British, uh, uh, if they were the ones who were responsible for naming, they sure knew how to name uh, places eh? despite the fact that you know they, they always drew boundaries as straight lines. So unimaginative, isn't it? So look at India. I mean, you don't have a straight line in any of the state boundaries, man. And random reasons for, uh, you know, not having straight lines. That's the beauty of it, the randomness of it all. Back to the wildlife. What animals did you spot? Any strange incidents in your safaris? I had a fantastic time on my safaris. 
uh, since I went to so many ecosystems, uh, my sightings and species lists were incredibly diverse. Uh, though again, I spent so little, so much little time on uh, safaris. Uh, though despite this, I spotted a whooping 43 species of mammals and reptiles, and of course, including the big five, uh, that is the lion, the leopard, buffalo, rhino, and the hippo. Uh, being a, additionally, being a birding enthusiast, I was always on the lookout for birds and I was rewarded with sightings of more than 100 species of birds across Kenya. I was fortunate enough to get a guide who was very knowledgeable and he was a keen birder as well. I learned so much about wildlife from him and I'm very much indebted to him. Uh, talking about strange incidents, uh, well, uh, there was an important learning for me, okay, which was given to me by my uh, by my naturalist guide. Okay, when when we were in Samburu, that's on the northern side, it's quite arid and it's a bushland. Uh, we spotted a male leopard walking across the bushland, and yes, of course, very lucky indeed we were. Okay, we followed the leopard for some time. Uh, after some time, maybe after five minutes, I was very keen to move on. You know, you're quite bored with watching the leopard. You want to move on to the next one. Uh, but my naturalist guide, uh, Stephen, I was quite insistent on spending more time following the leopard. Uh, his motto, observe and learn wildlife behavior. Be patient. You never know what to expect. And lo, uh, we realized that a troop of baboons, uh, which we had passed on earlier, was on a direct confrontation path to the leopard. Okay, we followed uh, and waited for the meet for this meeting point between the baboons and the leopard. Uh, to my immense surprise, uh, the moment the leopard sensed the baboons from a distance, of course, uh, he couldn't see them possibly. Maybe he sensed them. Uh, he immediately backtracked. In fact, ran away in the opposite direction. Shocking! You know, you don't expect an apex predator to be a coward like this. Uh, and after some time, the baboons, uh, after they sensed the presence, uh, they gave chase to the leopard. It only ended uh, maybe four or five minutes later uh, when the leopard hastily crossed the stream, uh, crossed a small stream, uh, and the baboons just lost interest. Okay, it appears that though the leopard enjoys uh, eating one or two baboons once in a while, uh, the baboons defend themselves and their young by grouping together. Together, they can actually kill or hurt a leopard very badly. A surprise learning for me, and thanks to my guide, thanks to my guide Stephen for all that. Similar incidents of patients when we were following a cheetah again in Samburu. About five, about 15 minutes, uh, you know, all there were two other three safari vehicles. They went away, but we were patient. We waited. We realized there were actually three infants that the cheetah was hiding and guarding. Wow, you know, patience was amply rewarded this time as well. Yeah, I know what you mean, man. Uh, it didn't happen to me in a safari, but I got this learning from my guide the first time I went and saw the Northern Lights uh, in Tromso, I think, in Norway. After that, I've seen it in many other places, many other countries. But the first time, you know, I was taught the the virtues of being patient. Yeah, this uh, I was on hunting for the Northern Lights and in this particular place. I kept saying, "Yeah, it's so cold. It was minus thirty-seven for God's sake, or minus thirty or something like that." But equally freezing, man. And we just wait. Waiting for the lights. He would say that, you know, the KP index is high here. So I think we should just wait. And just wait in that freezing cold. And just barrenness, snowy barrenness. But when that wait, as much as it was irritating, as much as it was uncomfortable. But when it was rewarded with the lights, it became something magical. I learned that. Yeah, I, I get quite, quite get what you mean about the leopard man. But what a sight. Baboons chasing a leopard away. Wow. You know, speaking of the Northern Lights, they're very different. Uh, uh, though it's the same Northern Lights, it's lights in the sky. It's it's fantastic uh, spectacle on the sky. 
nature's discotheque. So many things people call it. But it, it's very different. I've seen it from Norway. It was very different from when I saw it from Finland. Very different from when I saw it from uh, Swedish Lapland. Uh, very different in Iceland. Because the bedrock of that experience of the Northern Lights, seeing the Northern Lights is the same, but that bedrock of experience uh, that each of these countries provided as a foil for this experience really changed the nature of the whole experience. I guess it must be very similar with, in terms of wildlife also. Tell me other jungles and safaris uh, in Africa, in Kenya, in the Maasai, in Serengeti. Are they very similar to the uh, jungles in India? I've been to safaris on safaris in India, in Borneo, etc. Um, are these very different, the jungles in Africa? East Africa is the safari capital of the world. Let there be no doubt about that. Remember that East African safaris are mainly in grasslands, uh, while the safaris in India are mostly in forests. That's either rainforest or deciduous forests. Obviously, uh, sightings would be far more superior in grasslands as visibility is much better. Uh, on a safari in India, uh, in the forest, uh, a tiger could be merely 10 feet away from you and for the life of, uh, life of you, you couldn't spot him. And if his majesty is not in the mood for an appearance, there is no way you can spot the tiger. Uh, but in East Africa, uh, the grasslands allow a clear vista for the wildlife movie to unfold. Uh, sightings are clear uh, and good. Uh, species, both predators and the herbivores, that's antelopes, are plenty. Uh, transport is easy because of the flat terrain. Weather is normally good. And all of these form a fantastic wildlife experience almost guaranteed sightings of wildlife of course you have to spend two to three days uh, not less than that uh, this is not something you can expect in a safari in india what about the accommodation is it all luxury or basic or or is there something in between are there choices available basically well uh, east africa is one of the most well-developed wildlife accommodation options uh, possibly only maybe to south africa uh, multiple options are possible, ultra-luxury, in fact some of them cost more than $2,000 per day per person uh, to the budget options. You also have camps versus lodges, you have unfenced or fenced accommodations uh, inside or outside the reserves. Um, actually the sheer variety can actually confuse uh, planning a lot. You're forever left wondering whether your choice is good and you realize it only once you land there. Okay, now let, let me try and um, make you understand a bit more on this. The option of cost is simple. It all depends on the budget. The real decision making is between the other variables. Okay, within or outside the reserve, private conservancy versus the national park, uh, camp versus lodge. Let, let, me, let me try and speak a little more on these. Okay, camps, camps versus lodges. Uh, when I say a camp, it does not mean a backpacking camping tent, but you know, rather a semi-permanent luxury safari tents, which are more like big canvas villas, big tents. Okay, one who experience safari like the way the colonial British did in those good old days, this option is for you. Okay, lodges are cement, are cement and brick structures, more like hotels. Uh, generally, I avoid them. I'm not wild enough for me. I need to be in a wild environment if I'm on a safari. Uh, camps are generally inside the reserve, and some of them can be unfenced as well, meaning there's no barrier for the wildlife uh, and you. And uh, for all you know, you can have a pride of lions just outside your tent in the night. <laughs> uh, listening to the sounds of the wild can be either an exhilarating or a scary experience, depends on the person. And yes, uh, the nights uh, in the wild can be quite loud and noisy. Wow! Unfenced camp in the wild and a pride of lions outside generally toodling around listening to your sounds while you're listening to their sounds. Man, is it safe? 100% it is safe. 
but you have to take the usual care and not be really stupid. Uh, for example, uh, you ideally should not move if a tent once it's dark. And if you have to go for dinner in the evening, uh, you normally have to be escorted by a Maasai. Uh, why a Maasai? Uh, generally, it is said that uh, the predators, especially the lions, uh, recognize the tall and strong Maasai and keep out of the way when they sense movement. <laughs> so it's in your interest to go escorted. Ah, the Maasai. They've always been more interesting and mysterious for me than the animals have. And that's probably the way I'm built. I mean, in, in most places, I'm more interested in the people there rather than the, you know, the monuments, the structures and all of that. The history and all of that is very interesting. But somehow for me, the people are more interesting. And all that I've read about the Maasai and the Zulu and the Matabele and all those tribes has been from uh, Wilbur Smith. And I don't know if you've read, Wilbur Smith is absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Uh, he's a writer who's written a lot about Africa and, and uh, much of what I uh, have read about Africa is from Wilbur Smith. Yeah. Is it true, for instance, that killing a lion uh, uh, was some kind of an initiation ceremony for Maasai boys to be treated as men and therefore get married and all that stuff? Yes, what you said is true. Uh, it used to be a matter of honor for a Maasai, uh, young Maasai warrior to show his bravery in battle by killing a lion. Uh, this can also be an important part of the coming of age ceremony for young warriors. Um, but remember that uh, primarily the Maasai are, are pastoralists, right? They, they tend to their cattle. So killing a lion started out as a mechanism to protect their lifestyle rather than as a casual hunting exercise. It grew into a tradition, I, what I mentioned, only later. Uh, today, uh, this tradition is not practiced. The lions are endangered and hence killing a lion is illegal. Though I have to say sporadic cases of killing a lion uh, primarily while defending the livestock are still reported. One interesting consequence of this tradition today is that the apex predator, predators, that's the lions, are actually afraid of the Maasai and consciously avoid them. Uh, during the daytime, any tall form with bright red clothes and the lions will make room. This is one of the reasons what I mentioned earlier. When you're say, staying in an unfenced camp, when you're making around the camp at night, it's better to be accompanied by a Maasai. When is the right time to visit Kenya? Lots of people believe that uh, the best time to visit Kenya is during the migration, otherwise it's not worth it, etc. What are your views on it? Well, uh, this is an intensely discussed topic um, with all kinds of misconceptions going around. Uh, to answer this question, uh, we have to first understand how the ecosystem works. Um, remember that the Great Migration involves only antelopes, that's the wildebeest, the zebras and the gazelles. All the other animals, including many other species of antelopes and predators, they are all resident in, in a particular area. They don't move. Uh, during the time the Great Migration is in the Mara, there is so much of abundance of uh, herbivores that the predators have a good time hunting. So you get, you have a great opportunity of seeing hunting scenes. But migration or not, uh, the lions, the leopards, the hyenas, the buffaloes, the elephants, and all the rest, the, the, the rhinos, the hippos, all of them are res resident here throughout the year. Yes, it is true that during the Great Migration, uh, the scene of thousands of wildebeest at the same time across the uh, grasslands can be spectacular. Uh, the well-publicized uh, Nat Geo movement of the wildebeest being caught by crocodiles while crossing the rivers is a constant fascination for all, uh, though getting the uh, perfect photograph is, is quite rare. But other than this, uh, in my view, uh, the wildlife sightings during the rest of the years uh, can be equally good, if not better. Uh, why should it be better? Uh, because during the migration, uh, there are just way too many tourists. That can be a huge dampener. 
Uh, imagine a single pride of lions uh, surrounded by 15-20 vehicles. Uh, this is not a pretty experience. Uh, but on the other side, imagine watching uh, Cheetah family with only one or two, uh, one or two, or maybe no other safari vehicles. Uh, that is possible only in the low season. And for me, that is a true wildlife experience. Again, uh, one more point. And during the migration, in addition to the crowds, uh, the uh, what we spoke about, the cost can be very high, and availability in good lodges can be quite limited overall given a choice i would always recommend my guests to visit kenya in the low season good sightings easier planning and lower cost you have it all you want to see the migration uh, maybe do it during the second time when you're in the second visit to kenya wow low prices lesser number of people all of it seems to be coming to me it seems almost too good to be true here when is the low season and what's the catch there must be a catch somewhere there what is it that we should be aware of well, uh, uh, migration is from uh, June to September or maybe October. Uh, any other period other than this is the low season, except for maybe the holiday seasons, uh, which is a big time like December and Easter. Now, to summarize it, there are two rain seasons. That is the short rain period and the long rain period. So these are obviously the low seasons. Okay. Now, the short rains are during October to December and the long rains are during April to June. So one may ask, isn't it a bad experience to go during the rainy season? Uh, well, the pros and cons, it is all about compromises. True, he- rains, heavy rains can spoil the safari on a limited vacation time. Maybe there's not enough light for photographs as well. Uh, but then there are other positives. Cheaper and better accommodation, uh, better and more exclusive sightings, and overall uh, a much better wildlife experience. Also remember that the rains in East Africa are not like in India. Uh, East Africa is of grasslands, rains are not torrentials, uh, torrential and continuous. Of course, uh, there can be bad days, but overall, in my view, uh, it is a better experience during the low season and the shoulder season. And is it safe to travel around? Comfortable stay options available across? You know, I've heard uh, horror stories uh, from some people, not too many people, but from some people of danger around every corner out there in Kenya. Uh, I'm not so sure on where you heard about danger in Kenya, uh, but yes, it is quite rare and you know, largely untrue, this perception. Uh, it is of course true uh, that Nairobi, that is, uh, uh, that is the main city, can be quite unsafe. Uh, but then you would rarely spend time in Nairobi and you take the normal care of not venturing out alone in the evenings, that's all. Uh, but in the wild, that is everything beyond Nairobi, it is perfectly safe. Even uh, for me, even staying in an unfenced camp in the wilds of Kenya would be safer than the streets of Paris. Uh, be responsible, respect your environment and nature. That's all you need to do. Okay, point take. What are the must-do experiences in Kenya that everyone must, must definitely do? There are two aspects uh, to this question. Uh, first, uh, we have to remember that uh, Kenya or East Africa in general is primarily a wildlife destination. So when you refer to a must-do from a wildlife perspective, I can only recommend the must-do parks. This is the basic uh, standard itinerary, um, that's the 8-day itinerary, which covers Nairobi, Lake Nakuru or Lake Naivesha, uh, Amboseli and the Masai Mara. But uh, if you refer to the experiences within the wildlife space, uh, some of the must-dos, um, in my opinion, are, but these are not necessarily done by all tourists, basically due to cost considerations. Uh, these are uh, the hot air balloon safari, uh, hippo pool breakfast or a bush dinner, basically a meal in the wild. And third is staying in a camp as against a brick and mortar lodge. Uh, the hot air balloon is a particularly enchanting experience. 
uh, imagine watching wildlife from the skies enjoying the vistas of the mara all these make up for one of the best hot air balloon experiences in the world in fact i've heard that the pilot's job of the hot air balloon uh, is the most uh, here is the most sought after across the world uh, what is there beyond wildlife well uh, there are two beautiful aspects uh, one is uh, nairobi uh, which any anybody and everybody has to go through uh, it has a varied sites uh, like the karen blixen museum the giraffe center the elephant orphanage the bomas of kenya etc second is the beaches very few people know that kenya is one of the best beaches in the world uh, in fact lonely planet had once rated i think in 2016 or 17 uh, the malindi and diani beaches uh, beaches on the east coast uh, on the indian ocean as one of the top 10 in the world uh, a 3 4 day relaxing holiday in one of the many resort holidays uh, can be a fitting finale for a wildlife adventure and what are the must to experiences for travelers that most tourists unfortunately don't do uh, again i'm going to focus here on wildlife only uh, first uh, first thing uh, people come with a limited time and they think that the masai mara is all there is to kenya that is so unfortunate and misunderstood no doubt the mara is spectacular and fantastic for sightings but visiting only mara during a visit to kenya in my opinion is a tragedy though all uh, though all parks of wildlife here uh, the ecosystems are each different uh, and your sightings and the scenic experience are different as chalk and cheese in each place uh, so my recommendation is to visit at least two other ecosystems uh, in addition to the mara uh, second uh, second uh, thing uh, is about how uh, tourists do their safaris unfortunately again people think that you know the big five is all there is to the wildlife in east africa they cannot be more wrong there's such a beautiful variety of mammals for example as i mentioned earlier in my uh, hectic trip i managed to spot nearly 43 different species of mammals and reptiles another recommendation would be to go beyond the big game world of mammals get your guide or a naturalist to help you with the birds birdings in my opinion again can enhance your safari experience manifold after all you already on your safari on the way why not pay attention to those beautiful inhabitants of the savannas in my trip uh, for example i mentioned again uh, earlier again uh, i managed to spot nearly 100 species of birds the third recommendation is about a particular uh, place that is the old pajeta conservancy uh, this place is about 3 hours north of nairobi and it's an absolute delight uh, one it's on the equator so you get to stay right on the equator and boast about it uh, two uh, the chimpanzee sanctuary here is a laudable conservation effort and it's fascinating remember chimpanzees are not native to kenya however uh, this place is a refuge uh, for often and abused uh, chimpanzees from all across africa it is amazing to watch these wild cousins of ours uh, lastly uh, this place also has a rhino orphanage and the last two remaining members both female of the species of the northern white rhino uh, can be found only here uh, the sweetwater tented camp that is accommodation here very pricey but totally worth it built around a water hole uh, you can actually have wildlife sightings from your breakfast table or from your uh, tent veranda what's an ideal itinerary for an immersive experience in kenya how many days would that take shrini as i mentioned earlier an ideal itinerary would be around 8 9 days uh, covering of course the masai mara uh, uh, mambuseli and lake nakuru or lake naivasha this would ensure that you have covered at least three park ecosystems and yes in amboseli if you are lucky you have fantastic views of mount kilimanjaro 
a footnote. Uh, remember that you you should spend a minimum of three nights in the Masai Mara. Uh, this would give you two full days of safari in the Mara. And in my opinion, this is the minimum. Uh, without this extra time, your wildlife trip would not be complete. And what if one has only a week? What should the itinerary be then? Not recommended, but if it is only six days or one week, I would recommend only two ecosystems. That's Lake Nakuru or Lake Naivesha and Masai Mara. Or uh, what you can do is you can also include Amboseli, but then it will get very hectic. Uh, not recommended. Okay, quick question. Kenya or Tanzania, which would you prefer? Or, sh- or can we combine both of them? I get asked this question quite often. Uh, as I explained earlier, the Serengeti and the Mara are is the same ecosystem that is grasslands with Serengeti being 10 times bigger than the Mara. Covering both countries uh, would mean um, that uh, you travel a lot uh, to get around in the same ecosystem. Thus you spend a lot more time on traveling than on safari. We obviously do not want that. Does that mean that uh, covering only Kenya would be enough for East Africa? No, I did not mean that. Uh, Note that uh, Tanzania is equally amazing with its own variety and highlights. Uh, beyond the Serengeti, you have other ecosystems like the Gorongoro Trater, uh, Lake Manyara, Tarangire, etc. In addition, uh, you can also think of visiting the mystical Zanzibar Island on the Indian Ocean, uh, a beach and a cultural destination. Of course, uh, how can one forget Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania? But remember that the best views of Mount Kilimanjaro are from Amboseli on the other side in Kenya. Uh, however, if you want to trek up to the highest peak of Africa, you need to start from Tanzania only. Uh, we have to remember that there are important differences uh, on a wildlife adventure in Kenya and in Tanzania. Tanzania overall tends to get very expensive. Uh, it, is, it is vast and you may need to travel far and wide in different areas of the Serengeti on your safari. Uh, what I normally recommend is that uh, Kenya and Tanzania should be done in two separate trips. Uh, uh, use uh, new to wildlife, new to Africa, start with Kenya, the cheaper and the easier destination. And if you like the experience, upgrade yourself and go to Tanzania. Hey, what about the food there? I've heard it's predominantly non-vegetarian. You know, I've heard stories and uh, uh, poetic stories, so to say, about the carnivore restaurant out there, which has all kinds of meat and stuff like that. Lots of my friends love it. But is it comfortable for vegetarians? Yes, you're right. Uh, As a culture, Kenya is clearly non-vegetarian with Kenyans loving their meat. Uh, And yes, carnivore is a world famous restaurant. Uh, This is for the ultimate uh, carnivore orgy. Uh, The restaurant carnivore uh, used to serve game meat as well years ago. But thankfully that has now been stopped. Uh, You find only farmed meat served here. But it still includes exotic meat like crocodile meat, which is surprisingly quite good. Uh, but the vegetarians need not worry. Most lodges and camps cater eagerly to the vegetarian. In fact, most lodges have an Indian option and many of them have Indian chefs. So in short, Indians need not worry about food while in Kenya. Oh, I've had crocodile meat in Cambodia. Um, I didn't quite like it though. It's a bit too leathery for my taste. But uh... Tell me, are there any tips that you have for folks planning or maybe even thinking of a trip to Kenya? Uh, things like uh, mandatories like vaccinations and stuff. Uh, a good point. Planning for Kenya. Uh, yes, the vaccines are important. 
uh, in addition uh, to the many optional vaccinations that are recommended for any foreign travel uh, there are two in particular which are mandatory if you're planning to visit kenya uh, that is yellow fever and polio uh, remember that yellow fever vaccination is a lifelong vaccine uh, while the polio vaccine uh, it's actually an adult booster dose is valid only for one year once again important to note that the vac- the timing of taking the vaccines has to be noted uh, the vaccines have to be taken preferably on the same day and at least one month prior to your travel hence planning for vaccination is super critical okay shridi i know this has been a long conversation we'll break for beer immediately after this one last question what were the top 3 experiences only 3 in your entire journey through kenya In short, my best moments, destination, or days in Kenya, just the top three, mind you, are uh, in in sequence. One, Samburu Game Reserve, arid and beautiful. I had my best wildlife sightings here. Long sightings of a solitary leopard and a cheetah family, which I mentioned before, both of them. I love this reserve. Second is the chimpanzee sanctuary in Al Al Pajeta. Again, I've spoken about this. I love this part. Uh, since this visit i have i have seen chimpanzees in the wild both in uganda and rwanda and also an orphanage in in uganda but this this all pajeta is the place where i had my first sighting of a chimpanzee and that will remain memorable to me third is the amboseli national park absolutely fantastic scenery with fabulous sightings watching elephants in a waterhole maybe 10 meters away i was working on my laptop was a high point Uh, but the highlight was on the second day when the cloud when the clouds cleared and mount kilimanjaro presented itself in its majestic glory i had a mad time clicking photos and if i have to mention one more yes my hot air balloon safari once in a lifetime experience thanks shrini thanks for dropping by to chat uh, with me on kenya thanks for tuning in to the don't trip on the usual travel podcast from beyond experiences till the next episode take care Stay safe and whatever else you do don't trip on the usual in the meantime shrini and i are going to go and grab a beer